This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Hi, folks. Welcome to another episode of Film Study. This is Ken McCusick, and we're back here for part two of the discussion of the offense against the Pittsburgh Steelers. We're going to talk a little bit about the offensive line, but we're also going to talk mostly about looking forward. What does this mean for the team as opposed to what happened in that slop fest directly? Joining me today is Gabe Ferguson, a longtime friend of the show. I'm sure you recognize him. He's at Gabe Fergie on Twitter. Gabe, thanks for joining us again. Yeah, thanks, Ken, for having me. Um, yeah, offensive line is something that I think is a you know, pretty critical component of this Ravens team. A lot of their success has come from good offensive line play in games where the offensive line has struggled, the Ravens have struggled. So looking at this game, um, some of the overall stats, they let up three sacks, nine pressures, um, one additional quarterback hit, and then Huntley was able to evade some pressure as well. Um, you know, why don't we dive right into it, start with with Ronnie Stanley and see what you, um, what, what are your takes away from Ronnie Stanley's performance in this week? Yeah. Team? I, w- I want to jump right into Stanley in a second, but I do want to say aggregate f- pressure rate was 46%, which is very high for this game. And you and I talked in the first part and we do need to plug the first part and say, go back and download that because what, what Gabe and I really talked about was that the, the pass rush they'll face from other teams among the potentials of the, the play in the AFC is good from, Almost every team, the exception might be Miami injured as they are right now, might not present the same sort of challenges, but most of the other teams are are big pass rush teams. And the Ravens have shown that that can be a big thorn in their side as far as uh, as having the uh, problems. And I guess we, we should go ahead and start with Ronnie Stanley in that regard since we're yeah. talking about him. Uh, he kind of regressed a little bit in this game, a 20-snap effort uh, versus Alex Highsmith, who, who gave him a lot of trouble. Um, he, he allowed two-thirds of a sack. Uh, he was beaten outside by Highsmith, forced him up into the pocket where Watt cleaned up, and uh, Watt moved laterally off Moses. I did give Moses a portion of that sack. I could have gone all to Stanley, but I gave I gave two-thirds of it to Stanley, a third to uh, Moses in that particular instance. Um, generally, a pretty decent game of pushing the rusher past the back pylon. And if you've heard this show for a while, you remember I used to talk about Ricky Wagner that way as being a guy who could who – could get a, a pass rusher to the back pylon. I think that's true of Orlando Brown, too. You know, bigger guy who, when he was beaten by speed, could use his bulk and length to try and um, push a pass rusher uh, down to six, eight, or six, six o'clock uh, relative to the quarter inst- instead of having him uh, come in at nine o'clock and uh and hit that hit that quarterback card i guess it would be three o'clock right on the right side but uh uh that was that that's something that he's been good at in the past uh he was not run out of any pressures personally which is good because the the players who did i I docked them in terms of their their score in terms of the subjective adjustments specifically had two missed blocks one of those was lost at the line of scrimmage three blocks in level two no pancakes made one of two polls no highlights you know, it, the two thirds of a sack is a, is it's a it's a big deal, but also in a twenty snap game, it obviously creates a lot of volatility, and it means that the the the, the score 
might not mean exactly what it was, particularly if I could have given him the whole sack and it would be, you know, a whole grade level worse. But it's a C with a solid adjustment for playing a player like Highsmith. Um, I'm actually kind of encouraged by that, the way Stanley has played this year, that he's playing some of his best football right now. So I'd like to maybe take a moment and jump back into, you know, your comment about the ability to push the rusher past kind of the pocket. Um, this in Stanley's career hasn't really been the way he's played. Yes. He's been a player who's very nimble on his feet for the majority of his career. He mirrors very well, um, has a strong kind of punch. Um, he's been one of the best pass protectors in his career. Do you see this as a combination of the opponent, someone who's a speed rusher and the conditions, or is it more of kind of where he is now in, in his career? You know, we have seen, I think, Stanley this year continue to be an excellent mirrorer and just be giving up all kinds of roller skatey ground going backwards. Um, that's really been the problem is that he's just getting bull rushed too effectively this year. I think in this game with Highsmith, it's mostly about the opponent. Highsmith is tremendously quick, uses his hands exceptionally violently. If you watch him, he's effectively practicing karate against the opposing left tackle, try to chop past him, try to get his arms swiped away. But he is, his go-to move is the, is the um, speed rush. Uh, he's not nearly as often does he go to the bull rush. Uh, it's not like we didn't see it all in this game. We did see some of it, uh, but he definitely tries to win outside more than any other individual way. And I think that was that was pretty much what was going on here. And it's kind of a nice adjustment for Stanley to see some of this 12 to 6 blocking, um, you know, added to his repertoire as an alternative to mirroring and continuing to to, to play with heavy hands and, 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 and keep your feet dancing well relative to your opponent. And, and one note that I would also make um, the quarterback in this game was not Lamar Jackson. It was Tyler Huntley pushing a edge rusher past the pocket is often very advantageous when you have Lamar Jackson, who's able to step through that hole, buy some time, roll out, maybe scramble, maybe find a receiver downfield. Tyler Huntley may not be able to make those same types of nuanced, you know, decisions or, or movements in the pocket. That's a, that's a great point. And, you know, one of the things in, in Texas Hold'em comes up is players who know how to play their hands pre-flop and don't know how to play them after the flop, you know, don't know how to put pressure on their opponent or figure out what they're doing. Unfortunately, I fall into this latter category that I'm not particularly good after the flop. And part of it comes from not being a, a particularly good reader. But uh, that's absolutely true that Lamar Jackson, uh, you know, when he when the, when the when something breaks down about the pressure and something extends about the pocket, Lamar has tremendous value that way. You made the point in the first show that long time to throw is not generally advantageous for quarterbacks. And if they have bad pocket awareness, as Tyler Huntley certifiably does, it could be disastrous for such quarterbacks. So, yeah, it's a, it's a it's a great point you're making. And I think that that um, Lamar Jackson is is probably much more likely to take advantage of of a twelve to six block, and, and paradoxically, that's really not been the way that that uh, that uh, Stanley has has blocked for uh, Lamar most of his career. Mm-hmm. He's been he's been good at taking that the being able to feel the pressure coming from his left side. Sometimes actually feel it by having it hit him, and and being able to move out of it, not being too bothered by it. But they seem to work have worked well together in that regard pretty much throughout his career. Yeah, and I, th- I do think it's it's a positive thing that, that Stanley um, is playing a little bit better now. I think you know he's been able to take advantage of the bye, some of the games that are blowouts, maybe not have as much um, snaps um, down the stretch, and, and hopefully get his body back a little bit. Um, so I'm, I'm optimistic about the play of Stanley down the stretch for us. Um, you want to move on to, to John Simpson? Sure, 
sure. Um, uh, he had his fifth consecutive game at the D level. It's also his sixth in the last seven. And we're going to get to what that might mean coming up here. He allowed a penetration on a pull. Say a pull for minus two, which is exceptionally bad to 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 allow that. It's very costly. Um, One point five pressures. He was also run out of another by Huntler. Again, that's that's not good. Um, PFF would probably just call that a pressure and probably gave him either two or three during the game. I gave him one point five. Um, not not counting that that was zero. The one he was run out of. He just got a, a, a subjective score docking for that. But here's the really bad one. He missed seven blocks and six of those were losses at the line of scrimmage. I think every one was to Cam Hayward directly, but he might have lost one to Keanu Benton during during the game as well. But um he he got pretty much rolled over by um Hayward in this game. And uh both Haywards had their had their uh good blocking games, both the Pittsburgh Haywards. Cam Connor Hayward, the tight end, blocked uh, Tavius Robinson very effectively in this game. Uh, anyway, one net point on five polls. So here's the here's what I'm going to come down to at the end. We'll get to the end of his grade before we talk about this. But but one net point on five polls. Your big reason why you're saying Ben Cleveland's not the right guy for us at left guard is that he is kind of lumbering in terms of his feet and not able necessarily to get going on the polls. Do we have to change that calculus some when Simpson makes one of five points on pulls? And he's been really up and down this year. He's he's had good games where he's made, you know, nine out of 11, six out of seven kind of things. But but he's also had some bad games like this where he's, I think he was one out of five now twice this season. It might've been one out of seven, the other game that I'm, that I'm thinking of. Uh, certainly has not been consistent at it. Um, uh, I, 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 you know, I think we're going to, we're going to come back to the question of whether or not there's a change in the cards for Cleveland replacing Simpson in the playoffs at some point. Yeah. And, you know, one point I would also make about the pulling, um, it's not as much a repertoire of the Ravens run game as it used to be. Um, when, when it was Greg room, I feel like it was pr- probably almost twice as frequent. You'd have those, those left guard pulls. Um, we're seeing more mobility out of Linderbaum. We're seeing more wide zone. Um, that, is a potential area where I I think you might get some mm, Cleveland issues if you're doing a lot of zone runs. Um, that lateral mobility isn't really his strength, and if you really want to have as much you know multiplicity and and the types of running schemes you use, and that's something that Greg Monken I think has done. Greg Monken, um, I'm sorry about that. Um, <laughs> Todd Munkin has done um, getting getting our offensive coordinators mixed up here. Um, has done. I think he's he's used a lot of different types of, of run schemes. Um, having Simpson there might give you a little bit more versatility. Um, but it's it's definitely you know seeing his defeats at the line of scrimmage that that's a concern because yeah. if you can't win at the point of attack, you know that's that's your first kind of your your your, your first job. Um, do you have any? I know you, I know you take a adjustment for tackles you do that for mm-hmm. for guard as well oh all, all, all five positions so so in okay. this game uh, how i how i graded it was as follows so simpson would have been entitled to a a grade up of 0.06 for hayward which is quite high by the way particularly for an interior yeah. player um if you're facing aaron donald you might still get 0.09 but generally speaking it's only an edge guy who would give you the full 0.10 which is the most i ever allocate he didn't have anything in terms of highlights or great blocks he made down the field he did have one highlight in the game but not, not a, an over abundance of them such that i gave him more points on that so i ended up giving an adjustment instead of 0.06 a 0.03 for mm-hmm. getting run out of pressure once 
for uh, by Huntley in the game. So that's uh, that's how that went down. He, his overall grade was a 75 after that .03, which is a D-plus on my guard scale. Okay. So we're, ho- we're hoping to potentially see some improvement if he stays out there in the starting lineup. Yeah. And I think we'll we'll come back to that at the end of the offensive line because I think that's really the big question going forward in the playoffs. And and given what happened almost eleven years ago to this day, uh, I think it's not impossible that they're that they're going out of this right now. When you think about it, you talk about installing a new offensive lineman on a bye week usually. Yeah. Well, guess what the Ravens have right now. Yeah. yeah. All right. Well, um, let's move on to center. Um, uh, Linderbaum, Tyler Linderbaum had a um, pretty good game in this one. Yeah, absolutely. He's only out there for 21 plays, and he's one of the guys that got off the field. Obviously, a very important player, but made 21 out of 21 blocks, no other negative events, no missed blocks, which creates a very boring paragraph for the player. By the way, we put together the offensive line article, but he had one level two block, one out of one on poles, no pancakes, no highlights. Uh, it's an A-plus for the game. It does meet the minimum standard of 20 blocks for a game, but, but I would caution people that a, a PFF grade for this would probably be – um, moderated by his reduced snaps, where I give a pure um, points per play type grade, and this A plus is not nearly as good, obviously, as a sixty-five snap A plus. Yeah. Uh, it's it's still terrific because you know that's it. He did as well as he could possibly do in in this game the way the way I saw it. So uh, only the third A plus by any Raven this year. We had one uh from McCary previously and actually I think it might be only the second because I think Morgan Moses after I did the all 22 review lost two blocks and came down to a 0.99 so he's he's only the the second guy to get 100 for the year so um with Linderbaum you know one of the things the center is tasked with and especially in pass protection is is helping out his his kind of co-offensive alignment whether it's the guards Mm -hmm. to left or right um we saw, I think, last week against Miami, he helped out Ben Cleveland quite a bit um, in, in the pass protection sliding to his right. Um, in this game, did you take a look at that, how often he was kind of sliding and, and helping Cleveland? Did that happen quite frequently? Was he tasked with his single kind of blocking against anybody? And how do you do in those situations? Um, he had a little bit of both. First of all, um, I'm trying to see, think, remember if he picked up a blitz during his time in the game, and I'll, I'll just have to look at this real quickly. It looks like while he was in the game, basically, um, they did run one seven-man pressure, and they got home for a sack, and that was an unblocked, unblocked number 93 going through the left C-gap. So that didn't have anything to do with him. But I, what I what I notice more is Linderbaum taking all, all, taking over the block, which probably means a slide to the right. But mm-hmm. Cleveland setting it up for him, and then Cleveland looking to help Moses, and that's where mm-hmm. the focus seemed to be for the line was sliding to get the potential help block. And by the way, that's a real strength of Cleveland. Now he's he's gone back to the right side, which is kind of his natural side that he came from from Georgia. But his he's always been. I mean, th- this is the thing I really liked about him. I had him as my t- number two guard coming out, so I had him as overrated as John Harbaugh did. Let's put it that way. <laughs> and and the thing I really loved about him was being able his his ability to process from inside out. He's very quick at it. And it's it's another paradox here is that Simpson is an extreme Simpson is Cleveland. I get those two confused all the time. Cleveland is an extremely quick, uh, good inside out processor on pass blocking, which means he's going to be effective at picking up some of those blitz and working within a relatively confined set space between two 
players. Not always the greatest at handing off stunts where there's some depth challenges that can come into play, but all linemen have some trouble with that. So I don't really blame him more specifically than others. Um, but what's what's been paradoxically very difficult for him is he does not seem to be quite very decisive in level two. So last week he got into level two a number of times and he didn't make a lot of level two blocks. It was most of his misses. This week he didn't miss many blocks, only had three missed blocks, two of those losses at the line of scrimmage, one one miss in level two, and he made two blocks in level two. So he made two out of three there, which is certainly, he was about two out of six last week making blocks in level two. So um, good, you know, I, 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 it was a it was an improved game from that perspective. The unfortunate thing is he allowed two pressures and was run out of a third by Huntley. So um, he'd gone almost the whole game without allowing that pressure. And we kept saying, boy, he's had such a good game. And I saw one of the PFF ball guys or whatever had, had just put up something saying, you know, the the um, uh, the quantifiable pressure stats that they have were showing he had a ninety or a ninety one PFF grade. That's what it was. And I go, wow, you know, I, I this I, I think we we agree on this. And then he had a couple of pressures late, and and I would have graded him down a little bit on that. His run grade, he did do a good job run blocking in this game, um, and and he had what I would call just a kind of an average pass blocking game. Uh, and and it was it, it was great, and it just didn't end up being great at the at the very end. Um, one out of one on polls, two blocks in level two, no pancakes, no highlights. He got his second consecutive B. Uh, let me just see where he was in the B range because that's actually important. Um, he yeah, he had a point eighty four points per play. Got run out of a pressure, so I reduced his adjustment to point oh two. And that was a .86 for a B. So I believe that might be exactly what he scored last week was .86 after adjustment. He did have a false start last week, which was holding down his grade a little bit, but otherwise it was fantastic as a pass blocker. I think the Ravens got to be looking at this and and you, you hear John Harbaugh talking about it last week and saying how, you know, Cleveland is this great story. I have to think back to, you know, the other player who was in the doghouse in 2012 was Bryant McKinney. And he took him out of the debt broadcast, installed him at left tackle, moved Orr to right tackle because Orr had been having a lot of problems at left tackle. And yeah. Orr, was a, Orr was a little better at, at right tackle. But the guy who really benefited wasn't – it was McKinney who played pretty well at left tackle, better than Orr. But it was it was Osemele who became an absolute stud in the postseason at left guard. Yeah, it, it's an in- interesting question to consider, um, you know, who is your best five at this point? Uh, and – you know, Cleveland has been someone who has really been underwhelming, I think, you know, up to this point. He, I mean, he's been given the opportunity. You know, there was some expectation that he would, you know, potentially take over the the starting guard position this offseason. Um, and that just seemed like it fell out of this graph very quickly. Um, I'm, I'm a little hesitant to kind of make that change at this point. I know you mentioned, you know, it happened in the past, you know, we have a bye week this is an opportunity to make that change. Um, it just seems like, you know, at this point in the season, the Ravens are playing so well. They have a lot of continuity in a lot of places. It, it is rocking the boat worth it. Um, I, it's hard to say. I, I've, I mean, I mentioned before at some of the concerns I have with Cleveland and, and what he can do in the run running game in terms of, you know, how mobile he is and how that might affect some of the different schemes. Um, but uh, overall, though, I, I think you have to be very optimistic about the way he has played the past two weeks. Um, and if not for a potential, if it's not going to be an impact down the stretch run in this season for next season, and it makes yeah. you feel much better about the offensive line. Um, unfortunately, that's taken this long to get to that point. Um, but still, there's a lot of 
positives to take away from it. Not unheard of that the Ravens' offensive linemen haven't been good till year four, and and you know Ryan Jensen and and uh, Powers really in he yeah. he played off and on well, but but he but he was a much better player in year four than he'd ever been previously to that. So um, it's it's it, I, I'm uh, you know I'm I'm positive about it, but the, most of the reason I'm positive about it is because Harbaugh seems to have forgiven Cleveland for whatever. Mm-hmm was going wrong before. And that tells me that Harbaugh might be ready to make a change because usually you just don't hear about it. And, and there are guys who never got out of the doghouse with him. Tim Williams never got out of the doghouse and was eventually cut. Um, it, it, in Cleveland's particular case, a lot of it, I think, was off-season conditioning, particularly you know showing up so freaking fat after he got married. And and Harbaugh hasn't had a lot of... Lot of um, um, uh, consolation that we, we, uh, cons- he hasn't made a lot of concessions for that in terms yeah. of 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 uh, of what he's done over the years and even players like Ladarius Webb who showed up one year and failed the conditioning test um, you know he's he was upset about it clearly in Cleveland's case if you look at him like now look at him in pictures on Instagram and stuff the guy's built like like a like a a uh, weightlifter or a uh, uh, you know it's built top to bottom he's not even he's built like an offensive tackle he's not built like a guard at all yeah. same is true of simpson by the way yeah. they're both very you know squared off uh, upper body adonises as opposed to the you know the pear shaped guard that has typically done very well in the nfl um you know to have to be carrying a lot of their weight a little lower on their body and i don't mean their stomach i mean they're really sand in the pants and you know they have large tree trunky legs and whatnot um you just these guys that that's not them they're they're apples and not pears and um they're very trim apples right now at that <laughs> yeah well at the very least uh you have to feel pretty good about the depth of guard for the mm-hmm. ravens right now as opposed to you know potentially in years past where you're not quite sure where you might be going if somebody goes down so it's, it's that aspect of it is if nothing else something that you feel some comfort with um you move back to outside um right tackle um, Morgan Moses, one of one of my favorite players to watch week in week out. Um, he's had some troubles this year, and you know this this week um, kind of goes con- with that with that path. Um, not a bad year at all. I think he's mm-hmm. he's been very good. He's been consistent, but um, doesn't have quite the same um, strength or punch. I would say with um, and I think he's been dealing with some injuries. Um, what, what what were the kind of takeaways from this week? Yeah, he only played 28 snaps. I, I'm glad they got him out that early. Um, you know, he took played a little more than Stanley did. They've, they've got this interesting um, rotational play where they stagger it. So McCary and and Falele are never on the field at the same time. So they've they've been um, you know always having one of their top tackles around. And they didn't f- end up following that in the second half. They had some Falele and McCary together. But but up till up till now, when the games have really meant something, they had. Um, he struggled quite a bit. One pressure. He had shares of two sacks. The first third, I would understand if somebody looked at it and said, that's not his fault. You know, Watt moved off him late in that play. And it was it was after the, the pocket had already been compromised by the fact that Stanley forced the quarterback to move up, yada, yada. But the fact of the matter was Moses had been backed up quite a bit and it made it easy for Watt to get off him and and clean up on that on that first of his sacks. And then a half share of, of the second one. I don't think there, there's really any question about that one. Uh, one level two block, one out of one on poles, no pancakes, no highlights. Um, finished a, a really good year on a down note with a D in this game. Now, one of the nice things about Moses is he really hasn't fallen off the, the, the score sheet 
um, in any of these games. I, before before I say that, or maybe after I say that, this particular case, that's 2022. I need to look at 23 here. Um, he hasn't is he hasn't really had a a game uh, that I can recall where he fell off the table so much. And players like McCarry, yeah, that's right. So he said he might have missed a D. He might have had a a a, a, high, a very highest F in one game. But it looks like he has had at least a D minus in every game. No, he actually was a D minus. He's been at the D level three times. He's been at the C level three times. He's been at the B level four times and he's been at the A level four times. So pretty damn good set of results honestly yeah. for a tackle like that. You know probably been a B minus overall player or or a C plus in that range. And uh, and that's certainly very solid when you when you're talking about a, a inexpensive right tackle. Yeah, and you know he he's he's definitely getting a little older. Um, you know if you look at his PFF grades, he he's one of the most consistent players you'll see in, in their grading system over the past five years. Yeah. Um, just in every single column, every just like he's the model of consistency. He's not going to have many weeks where he's super high. He's not going to have many weeks where he's super low. He's just in and. He's just very consistent in his play. Um, I I think at this point he might be a little bit better in the run running game than he is in the, in the pass blocking. I think I do think um, you know he's had a nagging I think shoulder injury that's affected his ability in pass protection a little bit. He hasn't had quite the same punch, um, and it, I mean that that's something you need at, at tackle. You need to be able to to attack before you get attacked. Um, and he and he's big. He has length, but um, he he can still get beaten every once in a while with speed. Um, I'm I I think that if I have concern, you know, and we talked about this a little bit, it's the tackles um, in in the postseason. But um, and, and this isn't a great way to to finish the season. So do you, do you feel like this is kind of just like a playing against a tough com- competition, you know, bad conditions type thing? Or do you feel like he's going to be okay? I mean, he played really well last week, from what I can recall. Yes, he played very well last year. He did actually get an A plus for, for the week, so that was that does make yeah. three for the season that have occurred. Um, so, so my my answer my answer is yes that that this was mostly about the opponent and TJ Watt gives everybody trouble. And one of the things about my system is since I limit the total amount of adjustment, uh, if you go against a player like Watt, in particular if you're a tackle going against the absolutely top end of the league in terms of of pass rushers. It, the adjustment might not be enough to cover just how difficult the assignment is. That said, I think it probably it would have been a high D instead of a low D that, that he got. Um, if anybody out there, by the way, knows Morgan Moses, I really appreciate his craft as an offensive lineman. I would love to have him on this show. I, I would love to have an advocate out there who could forward this to Morgan Moses and say, this guy obviously watches your play very closely and, and really appreciates your mobility for start with and, and, and what he's brought to the team. But, uh, Certain players, you know how much practice they're putting into their craft, and you really just love to talk to them about offensive line play, giving the chance. So um, if if you get a chance to listen to this, Morgan, if somebody's passed this along to you, uh, at Film Study Ravens, my, my DMs are always open. I'd love to talk to you, and we'll arrange to have you on a show, even this bye week, if, uh, if you have time for it. That'd be cool. <laughs> <laughs> I, 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 love, I, love, I love watching him. He's, he's I love watching him put, moving and, like, Mowing people down is just so much fun. Um, for someone who's his size that can move with the nimbleness that he does, it's impressive. 
You know, you know what it is, and it's it's the opposite of Ben Cleveland. You see, he's very decisive with his blocks. So he knows what he's doing, even when he's the back of the track where he could get a courtesy point a lot of the time. He almost always connects on those pulls, and it's because he knows how to run that track and knows yeah. where option A, option B, option C is. He conserves his momentum very well is one thing I've liked about him, that Vontae Leach was the fullback. I really associate that with much. And I, he's just a, a guy I really appreciate watching play offensive line. And you score every one of these players' blocks. And some offensive linemen, they just frustrate the hell out of you by making the same error time after time mm-hmm. after time again. And, you know, sometimes it's physical limitations, but a lot of times it's just stupid. And you know, you're, you're really, you know, you just run into this kind of thing and you say, how can you not have that trained out? And, uh, uh, but Morgan Moses, I just, I don't have that feeling at all. All right. Um, you know, we got, we got the five starters. Um, maybe we can talk a little bit briefly about the backups that came in and filled in. And, you know, Patrick McCarry, he's a backup, but he's been a lot of time. Um, and, and, and this year, um, filling in as needed. Um, played, did I see that he played center a little bit this game? He as played, well as played six snaps, I believe, at center. And I was, I mean, I, I'm of the opinion now he he can't be the Ravens' backup center during the postseason. He's mm-hmm. too important as a backup tackle, so they really shouldn't be using him just to I don't know shake off some rust at center, or whatever. I guess they may, might be wanting to get him a few um, shotgun snaps, maybe uh, take him in practice. That's all I've got to say about it. Take him in practice in in, in game. It's it's too much of a risk relative to the to the potential benefit and the, and the, you know the the likelihood that he'll ever actually end up at center during a playoff game. So. I might be, you know, having some brain farts here, but so the Ravens have Cleveland as their, mm-hmm. you know, Cleveland and and Moses, or sorry, Cleveland Macari as their top two kind of backups. Balele mm-hmm. as as a tackle. Do they Mustafer. have a true backup center? Must have. Is he? But is he active every game? No, he's not active every game, and and it is a question. And if they had, if they ever had a problem with Linderbaum, where they they weren't sure if he was able to, you know. Yeah. complete a game because of some injury then then i think they they would have to deal with that but you know they, they've they've got themselves in this position where if they want to go with only three tackles that means they're going with three and a half with ben cleveland being the reserve yeah. right tackle wouldn't be a good situation but it, you know they could shuffle to it if they needed the truth of the matter is very few very few nfl teams have the quality of four backup linemen who are a, each above the replacement level i believe now uh, like the ravens do and that's that's yeah. it's just a remarkable advantage. Uh, the most teams have got every guy they have in that category already on the field hurting them, you know, yeah. in, in some ways. But uh, um, but you know the, the, the Ravens are different. They have some backups who who actually provide some value. Okay, let me talk about so, McCarry's game a little. Yeah, yeah. go ahead. So Highsmith, just too quick for him. And and it's not unheard of. It's also some of the short armor just really shows up against a player like Highsmith, who's really, again, playing karate, you know, playing karate, you know what I mean, practicing karate against the uh, uh, the left tackle. He gave up three and a half pressures, uh, one sack. That was to, to actually to Marcus Golden on the final play. Don't know how PFF scored that. They, they have McCary for no sacks, and, and I don't, I have no idea how that sack is not a, PFF sack, <laughs> honestly, because look at the play. I mean, just 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 take a look. Uh, that was on the on the Ravens' last offensive play right before they kicked the field goal that brought them within seven. Uh, Huntley ran him out of two more pressures, which is exceptionally bad as well. So he really, he could have given up five and a half very easily plus yeah. the sack. Two level two blocks, no pulls, no pancakes, one highlight. Um, 
an F. He got a point thirty one after losing his entire adjustment. So the point thirty one was also his raw score, which is terrible. Obviously, no, no amount of adjustment obviously would have fixed that. <laughs> um, but uh, but he's twenty nine points short of a of a uh, of a passing grade, which is sixty a tackle. So you know, you, you posed a question before of do the Ravens want to use him as center when he's a valuable tackle. In this game, he had a terrible game at tackle. Yep. So do you think maybe? I mean, he has played tackle at sometimes very well for the mm-hmm. Ravens. Um, yeah, it has been a bit up and down. Um, you know, if he's going up against Miles Garrett, it's it's not a pretty sight. Um, I, I feel like he had some very bad games um, against some of the high end high end pass edge rushers because he doesn't have the physical traits that you need to kind of compete with some of those players. Um, it, do you consider you know? Falele, you know, who's who I think has improved this year quite a bit, and we, we can talk about him shortly. Um, as your number, as your number one option, or are you still just going to Makari, even though you know he has he's had some of those limitations at, at left tackle? I'm still going to Makari. Um, okay. and and if you look at honestly at Stanley's play and compare that to Makari this year, um, Makari's outplayed Stanley. At, at, at tackle and and uh, now McCary's played some on the right, some on the left, and and if I if I if I split it out and I looked at his left tackle play, I, it wouldn't shock me if I'd find out that's been worse because I know he's had some really bad games over there, and he's probably played better in in relief of Moses when he's when he's been over there, but but he's he's got a point sixty nine raw score, which would translate into mid level of the C range after adjustment, and Stanley's got a point sixty so far on this year, so his is in the middle of the D range. Um, it's 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 been a very tough year for Ronnie Stanley, and yeah. I you know part of part of the difference you'll see if you go out to PFF you'll see that um, Stanley looks a lot better. Part of the big problem with it is not just pressures. I'm scoring Stanley for more pressures, that's for sure. But it's it's penalties, and Stanley mm-hmm. has a bunch of penalties, and PFF severely underweights penalties. I've had this philosophical discussion several times on the show. I thought maybe we would we could get into it on the show, but I think we're running a little bit behind. We take some time this off season, maybe sometime to go through the methodology and, and, and talk about it. Okay. Well then let's just move right on to Daniel um, and talk about his, his role in this game. Yeah. Uh, he outplayed Moses uh, in this one. He had 28 snaps facing primarily Watt, but Watt of course went out of the game and then finally yep. got time, time against others. Uh, one pressure, one half of penetration, uh, not bad at all for that level of competition. Uh, Huntley did run him out of a second pressure, so that that weighed on his score a little bit. Zero level two blocks, no pulls, one pancake, one highlight, um, two blocks at the line of scrimmage uh, uh, on the, that one highlight play. Uh, so it wasn't a, the most common type of highlight is what I call a highlight combination block, where he'll tee up one guy at the line of scrimmage very effectively for the guy next to him, and then go into level two and make a block. Um, that's that's probably the most common type of highlight I see. Um, but in, in the case of, of Stanley and and Falalele in this game, it's often two blocks made at the line of scrimmage, where uh, Stanley, in particular, very effective knowing how to get one guy out of the play and then also catch somebody else on the backside of a run play. Uh, very effectively, and 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 even as his physical talents have waned some, that that intelligence to play left tackle is still all there for Ronnie, and and so uh, you know it's it's at least good to see he can take advantage of that when he when he has the opportunity. Um, in in, in Falele, um, there's no doubt about about him remaining around for 2024. He's he's um, I think he's answered the bell these last four games where he's had 92 total snaps. 
Um, got a C in this game, by the way. 92 total snaps to at a C level, uh, which I think is is for him is such a big step forward, even though it's only a game and a half. Um, it's 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 a big deal. And and to, to put this frame this up, he'd had four previous career games where he'd received a score by having 20 plus snaps, all of them Fs. So these this this game and a half at a C level is a big freaking deal. And it's a it's a big freaking deal for this crossroads of his career that he's at. So I think he'll go in. He'll be one of the really important players to watch in, in the preseason and camp. See if he's punching any better than he, than he is now. That's really the big, that's probably the area of greatest possible gain for Daniel Falele is making use of his outstanding size by developing some physicality in his arms and, and, and additional violence there. Yeah. I, I think there's definitely room for growth for him. He has a lot of the, kind of rare physical traits of, of someone. The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly, but then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. To play, you know, offensive tackle, he's he's massive. Um, a lot of the players who who have been his size haven't really excelled, and there's reasons for that. It's, it's mm-hmm. difficult to play that big, but if you can actually put it together, it can be, you know, a, a real benefit. Um, I, I am curious about this rotation that the Ravens have been doing in recent weeks. It seems like it's actually worked out really well. It's given yeah. the players. Um, you know, Moses and Stanley, some, some rest, some time to not put as much strain on their bodies. That's given, you know, guys like Makari and Valele meaningful reps. Um, they've been part of the the plan. They've been part of the offensive line continuity and they seem to have really stepped up in those positions as well. So I think it's a kind of a, a great success. Yeah, I, I would, I would completely agree. McCary has played well um, at, in aggregate for the previous four games prior to Pittsburgh. I'd have to see if this really holds up over this over the five week period with the game being this badly. But it looks like he scored 61 points in 96 plays. It's not really that good, but it's not so fall off the table. It's 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 in the 60s, right? 60, 63.5. Probably be over the last five games put together, even with this horrible game that he just had, he's still um you know, in the high D range. Um, and, and you know, given what's out there at this time of year for offensive tackles, there's, I mean, there is no one who could give the Ravens what, what McCary has done for them uh, in, in general for the season. Yeah, and and that's the reason why they, they gave them the contract extension that they gave them because of, mm-hmm. of what he's able to do and the versatility as well. Um, so I guess rounding out the, you know, the offensive line play, um, Mustafa, we mentioned him briefly earlier. Kind of want to go over his, his stats a little bit. He played played three snaps at guard, replacing Simpson. Um, and he got he gave up a 
it's half a sack at guard. So that he did not have a good score there. And then he went to center and he, and he played pretty well. He played uh, almost pretty much a, a full half of football. Might not have quite played the first drive of that, but he, but he played many more snaps at, at center. Um, gave up one quarterback hit where he was backed up by Hayward. Uh, but otherwise, uh, didn't make, didn't have any other negative plays. Four level two blocks, one on a one on pulls, one pancake, two highlight combination blocks. Um, and as I would break this game down, he got about a B at center, and a, and if you add in his his half a sack at guard, he drops to the DF border overall because he didn't have a whole lot of snaps total in the game. And let me bring that up for a second and just right, yeah. So his total snaps for the game, uh, this is not right. We transferred this this information wrong, so I can't I can't uh, because I've got him for nine snaps, but I know that's I know that's not correct. So okay. uh, anyway, uh, yeah, we I, I I just have this incorrect. I, I'm uh, I apologize for that. And then Salah, I did want to mention before we talk about him, um, he he sat out um, despite being active for the game, and that's happened now twice to him this year. And I guess I'd ask you: is is that a guy you would have liked to see some, if he, or is it a case of if he's not ready, he's not ready? You know, I think it's the more the latter. Um, and if it's going to be in any game, it's going to be this game where it doesn't matter. You can kind of see what, what he has to offer. But uh, if he's not ready, then, you know, that, that's it. And I don't think the Ravens drafted him thinking he was going to be a major player for them this year. It's more of a developmental player. Um, obviously, they've kept him on the roster this long, so they see something in him. You know, he has good size. He has decent athletic traits. Um they gave him opportunity in the preseason and he didn't do well. So I think they said, okay, you're just going to sit and learn. And, you know, similar to what they've been done with Falele, you know, he had to play a little bit as required. Um, you haven't had to do that with Salah. Um, hopefully, you know, he progresses his body a little bit. He learns the system, learns some of the things that you learn as a professional and can actually come out and be someone who competes for a, a full spot on, on the roster next year. I mean, you are limited in terms of the number of developmental offensive linemen you can have on the carry on the roster. You just can't carry five of them. Yeah. And the fact that Salah and Falele have both kind of fallen into that category this year, and Falele's been um, serviceable enough to play here at the end of the season reasonably well, uh, is is a is a very important thing. We we don't have that data point yet for Salah, and in fact, the fact that he's been been. Uh, was terrible in the preseason. Been active twice. Hasn't seen any snaps. Is kind of telling me he's he's not there yet. They they, they probably would have figured a way to try and get him in the game uh, on Saturday had he been close to ready. Yeah. Okay. Um, jumping back to this Mustafa real quick. Uh, PFF has him at thirty two snaps total. Thirty thirty two um, is what I have. And and so yeah. I'll just I'll just give you that recently. I forgot I had the paper copy that that's it's not the spreadsheet copy, but he had 32 snaps and he got 29 uh, blocks on those and a total of 23 points. Uh, so he, while he had a a point ninety adjusted and a B at center, his his uh, negative two points at guard on on three snaps bring him down into the, that borderline DF range. Yeah, I mean that that could be from a sign just scientific perspective a sample size thing <laughs> you know three yeah. snaps at guard one of them is really bad it's going to be a bad grade guard um obviously play better at center um mm -hmm. and you know that could be a place where the ravens want a more constant type of, of backup and in, in years moving forward so i agree with your sentiment you know someone bring back see what, what he has um could be a useful piece to have around is he a, is he a game day 
I mean, we've made, we talked about this, I guess, already. You have eight offensive linemen on a game day. You just can't fit any more than that on your yeah. roster r- reasonably. Um, if if you have eight on game day, can you make room for Mustafer if you had the situation with McCary and Fa'alele both being carried as backup t- tackles? Do you have to somehow sit Fa'alele for some games, accept the fact that Ben Cleveland is your emergency tackle, and have only McCary as your active player, and then you're 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 carrying one other guard, I guess, as a backup who would be, um, yeah, you'd be carrying one other guard as a backup. You'd be carrying Mustafa McCary and, um, no, who, who am I th- not thinking of? Well, Cleveland, Cleveland's in the it would be Cleveland because Cleveland's in the game yeah. this week, but it's but it'd be Zeitler normally. That's so that's what yeah. it would be. So I, I think I still keep um, Valele, Cleveland, and Makari as my as my backups um, because I think you can lean into that Makari center, you know, as a, in a pinch, and have you know, Valele play tackle if you, if you have to have both of those happen. Um, I mean, that's obviously a, a nightmare situation, but the flexibility of, of Makari allows you to do that. I think. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I would want to have Balele out there as well because I think he can offer you some things, you know, in jumbo packages. Um, there, there, there's some there's some benefits to having a player like him, and, and, and the way he's playing a tackle, um, I'd rather have that. And yeah, it's just for me. So, so you you go without having a backup center, and you just hope nothing goes but, wrong. And yeah, and, it's a true backup. Yeah, and maybe you let somebody else take a few snaps. Then one of your guards has to know how to do it. Uh, whether that's Cleveland or I think they actually let Ben Powers try it last year and it was a disaster and and they they just sh- they shut it down right away in the first practice that they were working on. All right, well, let's move on. We we kind of we, we do want to spend a whole lot of time on this game, but we do need to talk about some other skill position players and then get to some of your mailbag questions. You're the guest. Who would you like to talk about first? Um, you know, I'm going to talk about Isaiah Likely um, and I'm going to talk about him because he's been someone who's seen such a role increase and it's you know it's been due to injury, but not just in terms of, you know, the impact he's had, but I feel like his, the trust level with him and Lamar Jackson from the beginning of the season where he was on this field a lot, but he was never targeted. He was not, he was barely used. Um, he was blocking mostly. And he was kind of like the, a guy who was just there for the most part going through the motions to someone who's actually become an integral part of the offense. Um, and I, I just think it's so commendable to him, to Jackson, to Monken, getting him involved and really seeing the offense not really lose anything, frankly. And, and that, that's saying a lot because Mark Andrews is such a good player, but they still had a lot of really impressive, you know, flow through the offense, through their tight end. Um, he's made a lot of big plays for the Ravens. Um, and maybe he doesn't get the targets that Andrews has commanded in the past, but he still is making the most out of those targets. Um, I saw a, a stat um, for it might have been Sarah who put it out there about mm-hmm. EPA per play or EPA per catch at a tight end position. And Isaiah likely is lapping the field. Like he is doing exceptionally well. Not surprising. Um, um, when, when he started and when he's catching the ball, he's picking up yards after the catch. Um, we saw him do that in this game. He's scored the Ravens only touchdown. Um, running through tackles, extending the ball, getting into the end zone. He seems to have a nose for doing that. Um, he's just been a joy to watch. I, and it's it's a breakout that the Ravens needed to have happen, and he stepped up in a big way. 
Yeah, huge, huge breakout. One of several on offense the Ravens have had during this season. Keaton Mitchell being another one that we did we didn't expect, and all of a sudden, you know, he's pretty much looking like the MVP of the team, other than Lamar, uh, in terms of the offense. But if you look at likely, since Andrews has been out six games, uh, he's had twenty eight targets for three hundred twenty two yards. That's eleven point five per target. That is such rarefied air. I have to put it in perspective. No Raven has ever had over eleven point oh four in a full season, and that was Andrews in his rookie year. We're getting up there in terms of number of targets that this is a very significant number. In fact, um, uh, I don't have his number for the year sitting right in front of me, but he's got 411 yards right now. How many targets is that over? 411 and 40. So he's now up at 10.25 or a little bit higher for for the season in terms of that. And that's only been exceeded a handful of time by Ravens receivers. When you get up to 40 targets looking at it, I think it might be only four times it's being d- been done previously. Wow. So um, this is a great season by Isaiah Likely. It's not just not just a great six games. It's a it's a you know a level where almost no Ravens receiver has been. Well the remarkable thing about it is, you know, it, it hasn't only been six games if you look at the the net net, but that's where the spike has been. Yes. You know, yeah. <laughs> what what he's done in this small, you know, stretch of games has been exceptionally good. Um even averaged out over an entire season where he was a little bit, you know, lagging behind to start things off. Yeah. He, he, he went, people don't remember. I mean, he went four consecutive weeks after that drop against Indianapolis, a really critical drop. One of about five yeah. plays in that game that would have won the Ravens the game. He had four games without a target. Yeah. You know, he, he finally had a catch again against Arizona, one on one for 10. Then it was four out of four for 42 against Seattle. And it seems like they finally they're going to integrate him again. And then he has one catch against Cleveland, goes 0 for two against Cincinnati before Andrews gets hurt. And they they go on the six game run. Uh, it, it's 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 been a really wild ride for likely this year. I, I guess one of the one of the things that I keep getting asked about is, is the room for both likely and Andrews in this offense? It's interesting because if you look back um, earlier in the season and last year, they were on the field together, but they weren't utilized. It was it was always Andrews when they were. I mean, there might have been a couple plays where where likely would would be kind of you know uh, someone who would get the ball in in certain situations. But when they've both been out there, it really hasn't been a, a traditional like two tight end offense where both tight ends are part of the offense in terms of passing attack. You know what we've seen in the Ravens in the past. They've they've had a couple of seasons where they've had gone a lot too heavy sets, and they've had both of them active. We haven't seen that so far this year. It's really been one dominant pass catcher from the tight end position. Um, so it will be interesting to see how that's utilized. The Ravens have been a, a lot of a lot more you know three wide receivers on the field um, than in years past. Obviously, with Todd Monken taking over, um, but is likely. And Andrews, are they two of your best four receivers? I say potentially yes. You know, I think you'll rotate them in and out, but I, I think they can definitely both be utilized. And they're both weapons over over in the intermediate routes. Um, and you know, they can do different things on the field as well. You know, likely can stretch the field maybe a little bit more. Andrews can also stretch the field. They can be used um, different ways. You know, likely is good yards after a catch. Um, I, I really like the potential of it, and it's something I'm very curious to see what happens. And if the fact that they could be on the field some is a really good thing because Andrews does take a lot of snaps, but the Andrews we're going to see coming back is probably going to be a reduced pitch count Andrews. And mm-hmm. um, if if that's the case, then you know there's probably room for both of them in the offense in terms of running a fresh tight end on the field 
uh, every play or if you want to do it or, or for three plays at a time kind of thing. So you, you have that ability. Uh, I, I think there is some real legitimate question of whether or not um, both of these guys who seem to work better as flex tight ends um, will work well together in 12 personnel where you're really trying to get the ball to a tight end. Um, that you that you you know it it just may not it may not fit in the same way, but it has the best chance to work if you know each of them is expecting to play about sixty sixty five percent of the the time, and there's only an overlap of relatively few snaps because Charlie Kolar's out there and he's having to take whatever mop up duty is available right now, and that will probably largely go away when Andrews returns. Yeah, and and I think we'll probably see a little bit of a reduced role for Patrick Ricard. It's not going to be a major reduction, um, but he, he has kind of upticked, you know, the snaps he's taken as more of a blocking type tight end in line position. Um, and he's been good. He's been very good in that role. So I don't want to say like we need to see less of him, but just having, a, you know, two true pass catchers on the field um, that aren't bad blockers, you know, they are more kind of like flex players, Andrews and, and likely in terms of, you know, the ability to play out of the slot. Um, but they're not negative players, I would say, in, in the blocking ability. Um, it, you know, they're not they're not like dominant Gronkowski type players, but they're not going to like to be completely like zeros out there either. So I think you do have some options in terms of what you can do. You can spread out teams even in twelve personnel and run the ball. I think that gives you some opportunities with the back like Justice Hill or even Gus Edwards, um, yeah. and it, it leaves a lot of opportunity, I think, for what they want to do. Now, we talked a lot about Hill and Edwards and their importance to the offense in the first part of the show in particular. So I don't really feel the need to talk about him here, particularly in terms of this game. But we, we know Hill is very important to the offense. I think the one question I have in terms of, of personal production here is, did Melvin Gordon really play himself out of a job with the fumble? And and they, I was I'm actually very surprised by the Dalvin Cook signing. Doesn't really seem to make a lot of sense to me. He was a fast player at one point. And a guy who could provide some of the things, even that a player like Hill might do, um, supposedly, you know, able to give you some some uh, uh, good cutback ability and good uh, power, a, a contact balance, and whatnot. Um, but he hasn't done anything for the Jets this year, and Brees Hall has. So the yeah. kind of the notion that nobody can run behind that lousy Jets offensive line, I think, got, got shattered a little bit by Brees Hall's success there. Yeah, I had to agree. And, you know, Dalvin Cook also, you know, he had some moments last year when he was still at the Vikings, but he was a little bit on the regression side in terms of his, some of the stats he looked at, uh, yards after contact, you know, some of some of the advanced metrics. He looked pretty pedestrian um, in a lot of areas. He does still have some explosive ability, I, th- I think. You know, he, he can potentially um, – and if he gets into open space, if it's well blocked, I think he, he can pick up some chunky yardage for you. So I don't want to completely write him off. I, I think if if I have to choose between Melvin Gordon and Dalvin Cook, I'd probably lean Dalvin Cook, even though I haven't really seen him in this offense. I don't know what to expect out of him. I just think he's a better back at this point in his career. And that, that's more saying probably about Melvin Gordon not really operating very much, in my opinion, than it does about Dalvin Cook. But I think they brought him for a reason. It could just be, you know, having some depth there. Potentially, if somebody gets hurt, you need to have an option. Someone who's a professional who's been around the league for a long time. But I, I just don't think Melvin Gordon offers very much at this point in his career. 
I'm I'm uh, right there with you. And 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 we kind of always have said if the fumbles return, then his his value is going to drop off the table. Dalvin Cook's only a year removed now from being a guy who produced roughly 5,000 yards rushing over the previous four seasons. He was 1159 or higher each of the four years. Um, he was a good yards after contact runner with the Vikings. So I, th- I don't think that's been the problem. He's been terrible with the Jets this year, just one of the worst yeah. in the entire league. And, you know, obviously you're probably getting hit a lot further into the backfield by larger men when you're, when you're trying to run behind that New York Jets <laughs> offensive line. But uh, yeah, it, it is what it is. And I, I'm, it, it just nothing would really shock me at this point, other than I really don't see Dalvin Cook being a guy who set, ends up getting 12 carries in one of these playoff games. That would be a bad thing, I think. And only, due to, yeah. only due to somebody being hurt, which I, I'm hoping doesn't happen because the two players that the Ravens have had all year, Hill and Edwards, have been very, very good for them. Um, I, I think they're going to ride those two for the majority of the running back touches. Yep, completely agree. Um, okay, how about we go on to move on to some questions here? Unless there's another player you're just you're just itching to talk about here. I mean, not really. This game was pretty underwhelming from the skill position player. Not really much to talk about. And the ones that played in this game are probably going to have major roles. Um, you know, aside from aside from Justice Hill and Edwards in in the playoffs. Okay, if you would uh, switch over to Twitter, if you can get there and and look at hashtag Film Study Mailbag, and we'll kind of each bring up a question, and you can either ask it as a question or or, or uh, start to answer it yourself. But we have some interesting questions here. The questions, by the way, have been fantastic recently, and we're going to expand them to be on Friday Morning GM. So if you have questions for Friday Morning GM, stick them in 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 hashtag Film Study Mail them, and just label them as a Friday Morning GM question in some way, uh, if you can for us, and we'll be we'll be adding them there. Um, Okay, this is a defense question. I want to wait on that one. Um, okay, well, here's one from Brad McGowan. Here's a good one. He says, Stanley appeared on the Lounge podcast last week and shared that while dealing with his injuries has been tough, he still believes his 2019 form is reachable. Given what we've seen uh, veteran linemen play themselves back into form, and given we've seen top LT play in their mid-30s, Whitworth, Trent Williams, and given Stanley seems to be stabilizing some after a tough early stretch, what are your thoughts on possibly extending him at this point? Okay, that's that's also a Voss question, it seems like. Um, <laughs> I, I, I'll leave the extension question to Voss. Let's, let's talk just in terms of what this means. I think I can draw one positive from it, that Stanley – is positive about about potentially having a career that goes beyond this year and that he's not personally seriously entertaining re- retirement at this point. I, I think that is a big positive to draw from that statement if if it's all true. Yeah, um, I think that's a good thing. Um, he, ha- he has obviously dealt with a lot of injuries over the past few years. It's got to be difficult for a player, especially someone who's at the top of his game before he got hurt. They have to fight through so many things. Um, Obviously, playing through pain at, at some points in the past season, this season included, um, it's good to know that he feels like he's kind of on the upswing. Um, I, and, you know, he has, I think, gotten a little bit better as, as he's allowed to he- heal a little bit. I, I do think it's definitely his body that's kind of failing him on that end. And if there is room for him to kind of get back stronger and healthier, um, it's it's a positive for sure. Um, and if you don't want to talk about the future, that's fine. I would just say these 
possible extension would have to be at a team friendly price. It would have to make sense for right. the Ravens cap situation in the next couple of years. That that's the only thing. Like you can't extend him at the same price tag. It would have to be a little bit of a haircut. I I, I think the the reason that extension would get done was would be for the Dennis Pitta reason that it gives him a chance to stay with the team when the Ravens are ready to cut him. I I don't otherwise I don't see them tacking on you know two more years and then a bunch of void years or whatever it might be. They they could do that because because they they might want to figure out a way to kick some money down the road and and have him compete again. Um, I, I I guess I'll say this about Ronnie: all athletes get to a point in their career where they can't do it anymore. And they're forced to consider retirement in various ways. It happens to every sport, every athlete, father times undefeated, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, the only guys who who get away from that are people who literally die before they have to have to reach that point. Obviously, no one wants that. So in, in Stanley's case, um, I, I don't know. I, I think he has been very in touch with what his body can do for him during this time. And, and he's it, it just it hasn't worked out for him. But I don't know how much he can realistically assess himself in terms of how much he can get to be the same player. I still think it's positive that he's thinking about thinking about how he can return to 2019 form. I, I just think, you know, he's gonna have to work like hell to return to the form he was when he came back in 22, I guess it was, right? So he didn't play for yeah. most of 21, and then 22 he played me, and he was below the 2019 level, but better than he's been in 23. Um, I think that might be a realistic goal. All right. Um, there's a question here I'd like to bring up from Randy, Randy Morgan. Okay. Um, he asked, do you think this offense is better built to handle a bad weather game, like the 2020 game in Buffalo, than perhaps in previous years? Um, you know, this is something that I've talked to, with Jordan Coe about um, on air in the past or in podcast form about the Ravens um, kind of tendency to really play poorly in, in bad weather. Um, it, it, it tracks through a lot of games. It's not something that's just like one or two games. It's, it's pretty consistent. Um, and do you think that this year they might be a little bit better prepared for that? One, because I think this is the best passing offense the Ravens have had in quite a while, um, maybe ever. Um, I mean, 2019, this, statistically, they were very good, probably a little bit better, but this year, I think they're more dynamic. Um, and I, I think that actually, you know, while when you're in bad weather, you think, okay, you want to be able to run the ball, but I think actually the opposite is true. You need to be efficient passing the ball in order yeah. to not be, become one-dimensional. And in the past, I feel like the Ravens have been one-dimensional, and that has taken away their strength even when they are um, good at running the ball because teams can take that away and it makes it much harder to, to move it. I completely, completely agree with that logic. Um, I, I think that that has been the problem with the Ravens in the past. Even in the Titans playoff game, part of the issue there was wind. And, you know, one of the things that that I was just really concerned about is anything that that takes potentially takes away the big advantage you have at quarterback like wind is not something the team with the better quarterback wants. It's also not something the team with the better kicker wants, by the way. You, you don't want to be be put in a position where your advantage is mitigated by the elements, and I think you've you've hit it right on the nail when you right the nail right on the head when you say that um, if, if teams that can that can play the Ravens heavy horizontally up front are teams that that tend to succeed in taking the run away from pretty easily, honestly. 
Um, it, and it's funny because the Ravens have run on all kinds of teams that have generally speaking good run defense, but that's because that good run defense is being done not against these incredible zone read leverage reader like Lamar Jackson. They're being it's being done against you know normal kind of handoff and either the power game or or a, or a zone scheme or whatever it may be that doesn't depend heavily on the quarterback. I think the more you depend on that, and the more they can crowd the line of scrimmage and truly assign guys away from the passing game to instead watch Lamar Jackson. The, the more a running game suffers. And I think you, you nailed it. Uh, let me come up with another one here. I had one. Uh, Ken, maybe I'm reading too much into this, but I noticed Linderbaum's interview after receiving news on making the Pro Bowl, I noticed he didn't mention anything about coaching related to his success, his success. And even Ronnie Stanley's interview with Mink seemed similar. Well, okay, that's from Stogie Yogi. I think it's Isaiah, right? He's given questions before, usually good ones. Um, this this time, um, I, I really wouldn't read that in, into it too much. I, I don't know how much that interview was edited. I don't know what they're leaving out. I think players um, do really respect uh, Joe D. And, and and by the way, that respect can come in different forms. And you probably, if you're out there and you're a professional, you've probably had a boss that was a little weird in some way, but you still, and, and maybe even he was overbearing in some way, but you still really respected his judgment when it came, came to certain points. I think that's where a lot of linemen might, might feel that the old school nature of Jody's coaching maybe isn't exactly what they need anymore, or they don't think so. Um, but they still realize the value in it for, for maybe some young linemen. So a player like Linderbaum, who's now a veteran um, and a player like Stanley, who certainly is a veteran, um, may, may not get the same value from Joe D and, and it may not be the first thing that comes to mind, but I bet they really valued what they got from Joe, Joe D over the course of their career. Yeah. I, I think, you know, it's, it's hard to put you know, ourselves in, in that position to see like what the relationships are like in the locker room and in the meeting rooms. Um, he's been, Joe D has been a coach for a very long time. Um, and, I, and I, you know, I think he, he has proven that when given the opportunity players seem to come out of the Ravens better. Like they've, they've gotten better. The offensive lineman, it's a consistent progression. We see sometimes it takes a while to get there, but I think there's certainly some types of, of whether it's, um, you know, repetitions or some sort of the, the, the paces he's putting them through or some of the, um, you know, mental ways he's ingraining into them. It's, it's working out really well. And I, I think he's a very good coach. I, I I don't think there's any any uh, we had one more Cole Phillip who says does the Melvin Gordon fumble open the door for Cook to take RB three responsibilities I think we've kind of already answered that during this yeah. show and both of us feel it's it's a pretty substantial possibility at this point I I think so for sure um, it I mean it's more of like do you know what what's worse like what you think you have or the potential of something that you don't know how bad it could be. Um, Melvin Gordon, I, I, he's had a, one or two good plays for the Ravens this year. He's also had some negative plays. The fumble, obviously being major negative. Can you really trust him? I know it was bad condition. So it's like, oh, Gus Edwards also fumbled. He's fumbled two weeks in a row. Are you going to bench Gus Edwards? No. Mm-hmm. Melvin Gordon isn't the player that Gus Edwards is. He doesn't have a key role. Um, and if there's a risk of him at, who has a track record of fumbling in his career, uh, it's something that you have to really, I think, have in the back of your mind. And what is the upside of having him out there in the first place? I think Cook probably has more upside. 
Alvin C. and others, I, I appreciate your questions. We'll get to some of those on the uh, Friday morning GM show, particularly one about Jer- Jeremy Lucian, because I want to talk through a couple angles about that. But a uh, simple answer is, if the Ravens have activated for him for this game, it would not have started the clock on his NFL career. So it would have been one where he would have still been a year one player next year with four years with the Ravens still remaining. So anyway, uh, the, he'd have to get six games active. And, and the chance going into this postseason, by the way, that Lucien is going to be activated at some point with all the injuries they've had now at safety, including Worley going to IR, it ain't zero. It's not zero. They could pick up somebody else potentially. I think I think it's pretty close to the point where they would they would uh, um, they would activate him, particularly if the need is is really a back end free safety type role. Um, question about that um, because one of the kind of under the radar moves that maybe not everybody noticed was Ardarius Washington coming back from mm-hmm. IR. Um, he's someone who's seen time of safety, although more so cornerback. He's kind of been more of a slot player than like a true safety, but you know he adds another dimension there too. And it'll be interesting to see what opportunity he's given if need be, um, because he's someone who basically came out as a starter with the Ravens defense at the start of the year for the injury. Yeah. And he played extremely well and he's played well when given the opportunity. So I'm interested to see if, if he's someone who's out there for the Ravens um, in the playoffs. Yeah, great, great point. And and I think he'd he'd be certainly ahead of Lucien and probably even ahead of Lucien in terms of of taking a backup safety role. Uh, now he was not active for this game and he hasn't, he's still in his window to be activated. Yeah. There is a chance that he doesn't even make it by the end of the window, that there's that they that they he doesn't progress enough with with how he's moving forward and he's not ready. I, the the last couple they've done have been kind of prophylactic in nature. So bringing Pepe back was like that, and they did have the need for him. They happened to have an injury at the right time. Malik Ham, they didn't have an injury at the right time, so they basically just let it pass, and he reverted to IR for the season, and the Ravens did not lose the IR-DTR spot. Hmm. So it's it's uh, actually I'm sorry they did lose the IRDTR spot, but they had they had a, a surplus of them. Now I believe they have two left for effectively three players is how I understand this, um, that they have to make some choices between. And one of them is JAD coming back, um, which I don't think is high on their priority list, obviously. Mark Andrews coming back, and who's the third? It's I don't believe it's Worley. It's Would it be Duvernay? Is, is there Duvernay, yes. Back? Duvernay. Yeah. Duvernay is the other guy. So, I mean, Duvernay at this point, um, boy, he'd, be, he'd help the Ravens, I think. Y- yeah, Um I think so. I mean, they could use the wide receiver depth. Um, obviously, when he's on his game as a kick returner, he's one of the best in the league. Um, they have gotten good returns you know, within his mm-hmm. absence with Wallace and Hill, so you can't complain too much about that. Um, but it, you know, if he's fully healthy, I think he's definitely a weapon in the Ravens team. I, I you know, the, the the one thing he didn't mention is he was a great gadget guy last year, mm-hmm. particularly yeah. in the wins over Cincinnati, and and the the, the team is potentially so short on that that having one more speed guy be be really uh, a big deal. I think we're going to see the Ravens really focus on speed in the way that Miami has um, this offseason. I mean, they may they may draft for it. They may actually use a draft pick to get a guy who's a pure speed uh, lottery ticket. But they, that they, you know, the priority the use of a priority free agent money on on Keaton Mitchell was a huge payoff this year, uh, even for the forty seven carries he had. Honestly, do do you think that speed position is more valuable in the Ravens at wide receiver or running back? Uh, I, I'll take some of each, but I think that they definitely absolutely need to have a speed running back. 
And I think you could do other things with a speed running back and, and the Dolphins do it with HN uh, mm-hmm. by putting him out in the, as a flanker. You can you can have pony pony looks where one is split and one's in the backfield. You can have pony looks where they're both in the backfield. Yeah. So you have a lot of options. Yeah, yeah I, I, I tend to agree. And they already have speed wide receiver. You know, say Flowers, Shad Bateman, they're both fast. <laughs> yeah, yeah, very good. All right. Outstanding. Always so much fun to sit down and be able to talk football. We said this would go go short, and of course, we went a little long. We apologize <laughs> for that. Uh, Gabe, uh, such a pleasure, though. Tell people where they can find your your work online and and uh, talk football with you. Yeah. Um, Twitter's the best way to get in touch. Um, I'm always always on there, um, willing to chat about you know, Ravens football. Um, at Gabe Fergie. Um, I, you know, been a Ravens fan for a very long time. I know the team well. I know NFL well. Um, so definitely willing to, to chop it up there. All right. Other folks out there, if you'd like to be on a film study short, hit me up. DMs are always open on Twitter. I want to uh, hear from you for all the reasons that you've, you've heard a million times from me in the past. Uh, if you want to do something nice for the show, I'm not a Patreon uh, guy. I, I may have to find a way to charge for content in the future. But for right now, the best thing you can do to support the show is, is to tell somebody else about it. Word of mouth you know, show an older person how to use it directly off their computer is what I always tell people, because I think that would have been valuable for me personally to go, Oh, you just go to filmstudybaltimore.com, go to podcast and you click right on it. You can, you can listen to it there. If, if, uh, if you're not familiar down, downloading podcasts to your phone. Um, and, and the other thing you can do, if, if you have a moment, uh, write a, write us a 50 word review. That's usually the limit on these kind of things and uh, uh, five stars if you would and and put it out there on any of the major uh, podcast things. It'd be a big favor. Uh, anyway, Gabe, thanks very much for coming on. Yeah, and thanks for having me. It's a pleasure as always. We'll talk to you next time on Film Study. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.